Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Virtual Coffee Break with the MSU Extension Dairy Team. My name is Martin Mangual and I'm a dairy educator in West Michigan. In today's episode, educator Marian Buza will be talking with Dr. Pang Rook, the chair of the Animal Science Department at Michigan State University. Their topic for today is improving the targeting of your antibiotic usage. So Marianne, I'll turn it over to you. I'm Marianne Buza, dairy educator with MSU. I am located in Huron County and cover the thumb area of the state. And with me today is uh, Dr. Pam Rue. We're glad to have you. I am so glad to be here today. Um, uh, Dr. Rook is the head of the Animal Science Department, and she is an expert on the prevention and treatment of bovine mastitis and on-farm factors that uh, influence milk quality and safety. We're going to talk about some mastitis issues and using antibiotics to treat it. So again, thank you for being here. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about a subject that I'm passionate about. When we were speaking earlier, you shared with me that you were wrapping up a study that involves uh, 40 large farms in uh, Wisconsin. And some. can you go ahead and share about that? Yes, I've been working in the area of antibiotic usage for about 20 years of my career. And about, I don't know, 10 years ago, we did a study of antibiotic usage on small dairy farms. It was one of the first published in the US. And then a couple of years ago, as this topic has gotten more and more important, we got funding from the USDA to study antibiotic usage on large dairy farms. I got that uh, funding right before I moved from University of Wisconsin back here to my home state of Michigan. And we collected the data on 40 large dairy farms in Wisconsin in the last uh, four months of 2017. And we've been analyzing that data ever since I got here. Can you define a large farm as according to this research study? Yeah, in this particular research study, we enrolled um, uh, farms that had at least 200 dairy cows. And that turned out to, our average herd size in the study turned out to be about 1,000 cows. So the study consists of 40 large dairy farms that contain about 53,000 lactating dairy cows. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah, as being back here in Michigan, I'd say these farms are very similar mm -hmm. to the large dairy farms here in Michigan. So I think the results of this study are um, probably 100% applicable to our Michigan farms as well. What did you find in this, in this study? Can you share some of your results? Yeah, so we went to these farms. First of all, the farms were required to use antibiotics. So that was part of their criteria for enrolling in the study. They had to use antibiotics on the farms. And um, they had to have electronic records, um, dairy health records and management records, and they had to have um, uh, a system for recording their treatments in their records. So these aren't like random farms. These are actually really good farms. So there are farms that, that record antibiotic treatments in computerized systems, do a pretty good job defining and detecting disease. So we visited these farms, and before we visited them, we got downloads of all their data for the last year, their animal health data. We looked through extensively all of that data, 
probably spent two days analyzing that data for each herd before we ever visited the farm. Then we uh -huh. spent a full day, or well, we spent several hours on the farm doing a survey, and then we got all of their purchase records. Okay. So it's an enormous data set of antibiotic usage, and we haven't finished analyzing all of it yet. But what we did first was we went in and we summed up all the doses of antibiotics used on these farms and ranked them from least usage to highest usage. And actually about a year ago, all of these farms got a report showing how their usage compared to the other farms in this data set. One of the really interesting outcomes was how much variation there is. So when we looked at the doses of antibiotics used in this data set, the highest using farms used about six times, five to six times more antibiotics than the lowest using farms. That was a really interesting factor um, or outcome of the study because it tells us that there's room to improve the way antibiotics are used on farms. Absolutely. Yeah, because the variation is so huge. If we found very little variation, then we would have said, well, not much we can do. But in this instance, it told us there's stuff we can do to improve antibiotic usage. And you were looking for overall usage, so not just mastitis, but you were looking at uh, pneumonia and hoof health. In our study, we looked at all uses of antibiotics in lactating dairy cattle and in pre-weaned calves. We do not have data on those weaned calves up to about 20 months of age. And that data turned out to be really hard to get because many large farms send those animals somewhere else. Um, they may send them to Kansas or Texas or New Mexico or somewhere. We also don't think that data is as important because that group of animals is at really low risk for disease, typically. Mm -hmm. A lot less disease going on in that kind of mid-range. What we found in our data is the most common use of antibiotics in adult dairy cows is by far mastitis. And that's both treatment and prevention of mastitis. That's about somewhere between 65 to 85% of all antibiotic doses. The second most common use of antibiotics on farms is injectable antibiotics given for reproductive purposes, either metritis or retained placenta in some reason. And then the third is pretty close between third and fourth are um, treatments for foot infections or treatments for pneumonia. So when we look at trying to, to impact that, the area that we have the most ability to, to reduce antimicrobial usage is the area of mastitis. Yeah, it definitely sounds like we're using most of our antibiotics in that area rather than pneumonia or reproductive issues. Uh, what, did you work with any of these large farms um, once that you gave their report back, you know, before you came to Michigan, or did any of the other uh, professors on the project to help them reduce their use of antibiotics? Did they want to reduce their use of antibiotics once you showed them that they're, you know, so much higher than the, their peer? Well, actually, that's a longer term aspect of the study. What we've actually done, this study is still going on. It's very active. We enrolled the four highest using farms and the four lowest using farms in further studies. Okay. And we've, been, um, we've completed focus groups on all of those farms with farm workers. And we're also, as part of the bigger study, looking to see if there's any risk of transmission 
of antibiotic resistance genes between animals and people on these farms. Oh. So this study actually has medical doctors and epidemiologists and farm safety people working on it as well. Okay. When uh, you were still in Wisconsin, did you uh, test for antibiotic resistance for any of these herds? Well, we're still doing that. I'm still, still the leader of this yeah. project, even though I'm in Michigan. I go back about every three months to work okay. on this project. I have a grad student here analyzing data, and then um, I work with my broader team there. Okay. And that the antibiotic resistance question continues to be looked at, and we're working on that actively right now. But I can't report anything on that yet. We're not that far along. Okay, so uh, from the study, you found that 65 to 85% of antibiotic use is going to be for mastitis. How can uh, we as an industry, the dairy industry, try and uh, focus our, our use on antibiotics to reduce that and be more responsible? We know that uh, mastitis, most of the time on most farms, is a disease that presents as either with either mild or moderate symptoms which means that um, in most instances on most farms, when we find mastitis, it's either just abnormal milk or abnormal milk in a swollen quarter combined with reduced milk yield. And in those instances, it's not a medical emergency. So the key thing that we need to do with mastitis is figure out would that particular non-severe case benefit from the use of antibiotics or would that particular animal have a sufficient immune response to the type of pathogen that's infecting her so that she'll spontaneously eliminate that pathogen. And so to do that and implement that on farms, that's the origin of, of course, these uh, selective treatment programs that are based on the use of on-farm culturing. Mm -hmm. So once we detect um, mastitis on, on these farms, we, you know, obviously uh, animal is already having a reaction, right? She already has the inflammation, right? So did that lead you to a new research path as to figure out how often these cows are going to um, spontaneously cure their mastitis because we are catching it so late? Great question, Marianne. A couple take-homes on this. One is I want to reinforce the value of doing monthly somatic cell count testing because uh, many cows are subclinically infected uh, for many months before we ever see clinical signs. Right. And that'll help us guide our treatment decisions because those cows that have a long period of having a subclinical infection before you see a clinical case are often infected with the type of pathogen that may require an antibiotic. Whereas cows that have had a low somatic cell count until maybe the month before their case, or maybe their cell count never went up, those infections are often by gram-negative bacteria, and those gram-negative bacteria um, often have very high rates of spontaneous cure, and we don't need to use antibiotics. If we have the somatic cell count data for cows, that alone can help us make some decisions relative to the need of antibiotics. And then when we combine that with the use of treatment data done either on farm culturing or in the local vet clinic, we can get really good idea of whether or not we need to use antibiotics. Mm -hmm. And in most instances, probably only about 40% of the cases that present with mild to moderate clinical mastitis will actually require the use of antibiotics. 
If you have cows that have a high somatic cell count but no clinical signs of mastitis, um, do you recommend that maybe they get cultured to see it or, you know? Yeah, I do know what you mean, actually. <laughs> Subclinical mastitis is a really annoying, frustrating, and confusing um, state of the disease. And um, subclinical mastitis means, of course, you've got one or more quarters in that cow that has constant uh, inflammation. So the cow's somatic cell count is above about 200,000. Mm -hmm. And that's a really good indicator that you've got an intramammary infection going on there. And the, then the logical question is, should we treat those? Will it prevent more clinical mastitis or will it benefit the cow? Mm -hmm. And the answer to that almost uniformly with few exceptions on farms is no, that is not a good use of antibiotics. And there's a few reasons for that. Um, if you culture uh, a subclinical case, about 50% of those cases will be culture negative, even though the cell count remains high. That's not the same as a culture negative clinical case. A culture negative clinical case, we know through the studies we've done, 85% of the time their outcomes are outstanding. They don't recur, their cell count drops in about four to six weeks, they're a cure. A culture negative chronic subclinical case often remains chronically subclinical. Okay. And the reason they're culture negative is they're actually a false negative. Okay. Um, what, what the reason they're negative is, is because there's a lot of white blood cells reducing the number of colonies in that gland to below the detection limit in the lab. If you use antibiotics to treat those, you're going to have to throw milk away that you can sell. Right. The cost of that usually exceeds any potential benefit because your cure rate maybe is going to be 40, 50% on those. Right. The count goes down gradually. So a much better strategy is to segregate those cows so they don't infect other cows and make, you know, um, individual cow decisions on those in consultation with the local vet. Okay. I think we can uh, both agree that prevention is the best way to uh, get reduced mastitis on your farm rather than having to treat it with antibiotics. Can you talk a little bit about your, uh, some recommendations you might have for farmers looking to prevent mastitis? Yeah, you know, in um, the economic times we're in and the economic times we're looking at, I cannot emphasize the difference between um, money spent on prevention and money spent on treatment. When we spend dollars to prevent mastitis, for example, having a good teat dip, training our milking technicians to do a great job in the milking parlor, ensuring our pre and postpartum facilities, are dry and clean, making sure our bedding is dry, making sure we have enough stalls for cows. Anything we do, any dollars we spend on prevention, that's an investment. When we already get disease, when we get high cell count cows, when we get clinical cases, dollars we spend on treatment, we're trying to limit the losses. So that's a loss. So if we have to choose how to spend our scarce resources on farms, we really want to make sure we prioritize prevention. Don't cut your employees to the bare bones. <laughs> make sure that your milking technicians um, are well trained. Make sure you're using an effective pre and post milking teat dip. Make sure that you're doing somatic cell count testing so you can identify cows that need to be segregated 
or cows that are chronic and making those decisions, those things we've got to maintain. And when we look at treatment, we've got to make sure that our treatment decisions are both cost-effective and maintain the welfare of the animals, but we certainly can't look at those as the primary way to control mastitis. You know, in, in Michigan, and especially in uh, today's economic climate, uh, a lot of producers are tempted to overstock uh, their, yeah. their freestall barns. You know, some as much as uh, 120% and some as much as 150 or more percent. What kind of impact would that have on uh, your mastitis? Yeah, I really understand the reason producers overstock. I, I completely understand it, but, but there's a consequence to that decision. And the consequence of that decision, whenever we put more animals in a smaller space, in other words, increase the density of the number of animals in a space, we concentrate the amount of manure in that space. We reduce the probability that the area that they lay down will be dry. And I have to really emphasize moisture control on the beds is incredibly important to reducing exposure to mastitis pathogens. So overstocking definitely increases mastitis risk. So what do I tell people on a practical basis? If you have to overstock, do it on the least vulnerable animals. So those most vulnerable animals are the older cows, okay, with the bigger udders. The, the most vulnerable animals are early lactation animals. Um, you've got to really think strategically. You want to have your uh, pre and post calving pens as least overstocked as possible. You want to really focus on that early lactation to maintain the health of animals. Once an animal becomes infected, she's likely to remain infected in many instances. And even if she cures from that infection, she has increased risk of new infections. The more we can do an early lactation, the more we can do to keep um, the vulnerable animals healthy, the better it'll pay off in the long run. Yeah. Where do you think uh, antibiotic use is going to go in the dairy industry in the future? If you look around the world at the trends, I have no question that I can confidently predict that use of antibiotics on dairy farms is going to come under increased scrutiny and there's going to need to be increased justification for the use of antibiotics. And as I say that, I want to say compared to other industries, we're doing a pretty good job already. Absolutely. Yeah, dairy cattle have um, only really some um, very discrete risk periods when uh, for infectious diseases caused by bacteria. If you look at adult cows, we're looking at the pre and post calving period as the highest risk for developing infectious disease. If we look at baby calves, it's the pre weaned calves. So we can focus our emphasis on those areas because there's no question in the future we're going to be asked to reduce our antibiotic usage and justify why we're using them. If that's the case, can you speak about maybe some projects that you have going on to look at how you can pair on-farm culturing with mastitis treatment? Yeah, we've got a study done here in Michigan sponsored by MAAA. We've had good participation by some commercial dairy farms. We'll be looking for a few more farms to complete where we're trying to figure out how antibiotics should be used to treat mastitis that's caused by gram-positive pathogens, streptococci, coagulase negative staphs. We're doing this study because we've already done clinical studies looking at 
no growths and gram negatives. We know the answers to those, but we still have questions. Are there differences among different types of antibiotics? Do they have different efficacies? And should we treat short? Should we treat long? Are there some coagulase negative staphs that don't require any treatments? So we're really trying to answer that question. I'm working with uh, my grad student, Quinn Kolar. We're gonna be looking for more herds. We need, we're probably gonna need a couple more herds because we need about 600 cases of clinical mastitis caused by gram-positive pathogens in this study. And so far, our collaborators were somewhere between three and 400 um, cases. So stay tuned. <laughs> and you mentioned MAAA, and that's the Michigan Alliance for Animal Agriculture. So for those of you who don't know, they sponsor uh, different research programs in animal agriculture, but we are currently are not receiving any funds from them. It's a great program and can do great things for uh, applied animal research. That's all the time we have today. Um, thank you, Pam, for being here today. Appreciate your time. Thank you, Marianne, and everybody, thank you for all you're doing to supply us with milk and dairy products. We would like to thank Marianne Buza and Dr. Pam Rook for a very informative discussion in today's topic. We would also like to thank you, our listeners, for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to enjoy more episodes of the virtual coffee break with the MSU Extension Dairy Team. Please join us next week when educator Phil Cates will visit with Dr. Manny Zeng. They will be discussing recommendations for the 2020 corn silage planting. So please join us then. <laughs>